deep left into the bleachers. A two-run homer. A swing and a miss. Ball game. Liftoff. And history marches on. 22 consecutive wins. From the sports desk of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com, this is Leading Off with Ryan Lewis, a podcast on Cleveland baseball. Santana makes the catch. Ball game. The Indians have won the American League pennant. The Cleveland Indians are going to the World Series. Now, Ryan Lewis and Ashley Fastock. Welcome to Leading Off, a podcast on Cleveland baseball. I'm Ashley Bastock, here with our beat writer at the Akron Beacon Journal, Ryan Lewis. Ryan, who just happens to be, you know, a mere 12 hours or so off of finishing Mayor of Easttown, finally. Just a, a month and a half late, but you made it here. Yeah, but I also finished uh, season one of True Detective seven years late. So this is actually progress here. Oh, Ryan, 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 Ryan. Again, we are a spoiler-free podcast, so I'm not going to get into the end of True Detective, even though it was about, I would say it was probably closer to, yeah, like eight, eight, nine years ago. I don't know. You might know better than I would. But I, I, I'm i glad you're on this fictional true crime whodunit kick here. Well, none of that's true crime, but you're on this fictional, you know, whodunit kick here, and I, I can appreciate that. Yeah, my wife wants us to start uh, sharper or sharp objects. Yep, that's another good one. That's another good one. You'll only be like three years late to the party on that one. But, you know, it, it was a great show. I recommend it's Amy Adams at at her best, basically. Well, for the past couple of weeks, I mean, we've been at the ballpark a lot, a lot of home games. Um, and, you know, we're obviously covering every game, but uh, a lot of the road games, we've had the um, ability to cover things from home due to uh, Zoom access. So, you know, not just being home does kind of lend itself to a little more flexibility flexibility with the schedule, you know, before games and stuff like that. Yeah, Mayor was great. Um, that was kind of fun. We were texting back and forth about different theories that popped up because you were right. Eventually, it seems like it's the whole town. Yeah. But that was yeah. really well done. That was going to be... I told you it was going to be impossible for me to spoil it. However, neither you nor your wife, Alicia, locked on to the theory that I locked on to. So it really just goes to show how good of a show it was that, like, we all three at the same point in the show had very different theories about who it was. And I think that's great writing and great acting, obviously, too. Yeah. And um, we also... Uh, caught up on Loki, which I saw you tweeting about it last night, and your tweet made me laugh out loud because I was saying the exact same thing. I was favorite character, and I'm not going to say who. I don't think it's it's really a spoiler, it's but not a spoiler. It's not a spoiler because if you have no context for it, it makes no sense. And it's I found out it's not a thing from the comic books, so. I'm just going to say it. I tweeted last night not to be dramatic, but I would step in front of a moving vehicle for Gator Loki. Now, if you haven't reached the end of episode four yet, again, that will not make any sense to you. But if you've watched all the way through five, you will very much understand why Ryan and I feel so strongly about this alligator. I I really I need him to have more screen time. Yeah, he's amazing. I mean, I would let him host this podcast. (laughs) I want to know everything he thinks about Cleveland baseball. I said to uh, my wife last night that if anything happens to Gator Loki, we riot. That's the only unacceptable outcome of this show. Well, 
let's get into some baseball here because I would personally really love to know what Gator Loki thinks about this nine game losing streak that Cleveland is on. And you actually touched on this in your walk off thoughts from Monday's game uh, in Tampa. To me, it kind of perfectly exemplified this stretch where they come tantalizingly close to ending this losing streak on Monday. And then things kind of fell apart in the ninth inning. Like, I don't know how you felt about that game, like if, if you feel as strongly about that one as I did. Um, but I guess just your your thoughts on this streak that they're on right now. And, you know, to me, it seems like with everyone who's out, I kind of expected a stretch like this because there's only so long you can go, like we've talked about in this podcast before, with things held together with duct tape and paper clips, essentially. Yeah, I mean, if you were to look at, you know, objectively, pretty much any team in baseball, and take off the top three starters in the rotation and, you know, including a starter with the talent level of a Shane Bieber. Then take off uh, a key piece to the lineup, you know, take away Roberto Perez, take away some other guys uh, for stretches. Um, that's a really difficult thing to get through while you're trying to contend. And so a, a losing streak like this, I mean, it's it's a team having to rely on so much depth and so much developing youth. And that, that's a difficult thing to, to try to really lean on to this extent. That's really difficult to count on, um, to such an extreme degree in that, you know, when, when Cleveland opened the season, you have Bieber, Savali, and Plesak in, in the rotation. Those three spots are locked down. And then you have some question marks based on youth with Logan Allen and Tristan McKenzie in that, both guys are intriguing. Both guys are seen as valuable long-term pieces uh, to the franchise. You know, they've both had varying degrees of success. Logan Allen hadn't done it at the major league level yet, but his, his spring training was just so tremendous that, you know, he basically forced his way into the conversation. Um, and, you know, that's, those are, those are decisions that, you know, Tito and the front office don't really take lightly because it's, it's difficult to, focus too much on a small sample size in spring, but Logan Allen the entire spring was pitching so well. And he looked um, like he had really elevated himself. He had, he had uh, worked on some things all winter. And so even with that though, those are difficult spots to count on. And even early in the season, before all of this took place, before the injuries, you know, Tito acknowledged that they were expecting hiccups um, and expecting everything to just go well uh, with such a youthful team. That's never going to happen. Um, there, it, there, there's really an acknowledgement that this team is trying to win, but this is also a developing team. It's a younger team, and that those are hard balances to to kind of hold at, at the same time. And that's kind of the tightrope that the front office has walked for several years. But this year might be the most extreme example of it, uh, just in terms of really up and down the roster having to count on youth and having to count on guys grinding through some some major league growing pains. Um, and then when you take away uh, Plesak, the situation got a, a little more dire. When you take away Bieber, it became extreme. And when you take away Savali, it becomes basically just hysterical. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's such an extreme situation to try to get through in that a nine-game losing streak was very possible with this situation, um, simply from a depth and a 40-man perspective and, and having to count on youth. And they had they had done such a, a good job, a, a really commendable job, talking about Tito, talking about the younger starters in the rotation, talking about some of the younger pieces in the lineup. 
they had done quite the job to, to, to hold off on a situation like this. Um, you know, going into the first game of last week's doubleheader against Detroit, they're nine games over 500. They're only two games back in the division. It's a, it's a perfectly fine place to be with several months left in the season, even healthy, but to be this, this banged up. Um, and Antonetti, you know, kind of acknowledge that they're, you know, they're patching this all together uh, at sort of not quite day by day anymore. It's, it's more of like, you know, a few days at a time and, and looking ahead and bouncing today, but having to patch all this together, like you kind of mentioned, it's, it, it's with duct tape and gum and they've, they've done this point, but this losing streak seemed like something that was kind of always, at least potentially on the horizon, considering the circumstances, which is, I think something that just about any team would deal with. But looking at the losing streak, to kind of answer the question that was asked, Tito was asked yesterday, and he he's not really seeing guys trying to do too much or 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 this or that or some of the pitfalls that especially younger teams can fall into when they're in this position. It's just a situation of they've lost nine in a row. You know, he he mentioned that it seems like guys are being switched up on on pitch selection a little bit, and that things just aren't clicking. Um, but to this point, it's not that guys are, you know, pressing or, or trying to do too much or going down some of those paths that are, that are possible yet. Um, it's certainly the most, you know, a uh, tumultuous stretch of their season. The goal, I, I, I think for this team was to, to try to get to the all-star break still kind of intact. And that's, that's started to kind of come loose a little bit. Um, and now comes the really difficult task of correcting that, that course. And, um, you know, it, it is a positive thing, uh, considering their outlook to be able to say, you know, Bieber will be back in a few weeks or should be back in a few weeks. Same with Savali. Plesak returns tonight. We're recording this Thursday morning. Plesak is scheduled to return tonight. Um, and we'll go into more detail on all of their situations later. But you can also say that about the Chicago White Sox. Uh, Eloy Jimenez is scheduled to be back uh, potentially later this month. Yasmani Grandal will eventually return. Um, so both teams kind of going for the central right now are in similar spots. So while, you know, you can't say that about Cleveland, you can also say that about Chicago. So this, you know, this kind of hole that they have now been kind of thrown into due to the injury situation, it's, it's, it's a very difficult road. It's certainly not something that they can't climb out of, but, um, that, you know, it's, it's a really difficult stretch and it's, it's going to be a, a, a difficult few months to, to try to catch up to the White Sox. And to put it into perspective, I mean, this team is not used to losing at this level, especially like really over the last decade or so. This is the longest losing streak since 2012. So I guess with these few days before the All-Star break, again, we're recording this on Thursday, July 8th. I guess what's important in these few days going into that that week and then, you know, coming out of the All-Star break I think it's something along the lines of what Tito mentioned uh, last night after the the second game um, of yesterday's doubleheader, and that it's important for them to remember that yes, they are competing this year, and even with the nine game losing streak, they're still at five hundred. I mean, it's not, you know, I I think the things can seem a little more dire, um, right? But it's it's early July. They're now forty two and forty two, so all things considered, they're they're in a fine spot. It's just the acknowledgement that also you know having to climb out of a hole like this just it, it's just not the easiest thing to do. But I think it's what this kind of stretch 
becomes about is it's a it's it's trying to find a spark uh, to try to turn things around. But B, it's also kind of remembering that while they're trying to contend this year, they also are developing. They also are setting up 2022 and 23 and 24 and so on. And that was kind of, you know, this year always would be somewhat of a, just like a, a, a crossroads season, um, not, not a rebuild uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but a season in which, as they have been trying to set up the future, as they are, they've been trying to set up a, a healthier farm system, um, kind of stockpiling, uh, some, some players that, that they are high on, uh, who are controllable, um, who are making their way through the minors or just getting to the major league, uh, level. You know, this season had, had that potential to, uh, to kind of be in, in the middle of different, you know, styles of contention windows. Um, and they've, they've managed to contend even this season. Um, again, you know, uh, Oscar Mercado pointed out that a week ago, they're, they're 42 and 33, even with the injuries that they've had. And even with the losing streak, you know, they're still, you know, they are still contending. They're still right there. Um, it's just that the, the road has become much more difficult. Um, but over these last four games for the all-star break, going into the all-star break with a four, or, or sorry, with, with a 13 game losing streak, is, you know, not something that any team would obviously want to be in because it's just, it's trying to hold on to that, that kind of glimmer of contention and trying to hold on to any, whatever the, the percentage chance is right now that, that this team could win the division. I know they're, they're trying to hold on to any kind of hope of not having that lower to the point where now, now, Eventually, you can start talking about, uh, you know, development, uh, focusing on 2022, things like that. They're not there yet at, at 42 and 42. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, as, as Cleveland has struggled, Chicago has kind of started to pick it up, even with their injuries. Um, so I think the last four days, it's, it's still about surviving, um, to the all-star break, getting to a point where at least, uh, some of the cavalry can arrive. Um, and, and the roster can become a little healthier, but, um, it's a, it's a difficult spot. I'm, I'm sure they will welcome the all-star break, uh, with open arms, with, you know, with arms wide open to use a, a, a creed reference to kind of sneak that in there. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that will be more than welcome to have a few days to kind of catch their breath, especially now, especially with, with, with the lineup struggling. Um, uh, it, it's, it's kind of exactly what would be prescribed. You know, I never thought that. The brand of this podcast would be Cleveland baseball with a side of Creed, but somehow you managed to make that happen against my will, apparently. <laughs> but I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. I let's move on from that because I got nothing to add on that reference. But Here, I'll uh, I'll add to give you, I guess, a, an idea of the of the Creed fandom, which I am unapologetic for. I'm I'm so embarrassed for you. No. Absolutely not. I'm not embarrassed at all. Um, freshman year of college, we were living in, in the dorms, uh, at Kent and somebody somehow found out that I was a Creed fan, probably because I said something like I just said. And I was called Creed for like at least the first semester of freshman year of college, which again, I don't see as an insult. I don't care. I don't care that other people don't like them. I think they're great. And also I'll point out, by the way, there are a lot of people who say they don't like Creed, 
and then it'll, it'll come on at the bar or something like that. And then all of a sudden, everybody knows the words. Everybody's singing. Everybody's a Creed fan. I just want to point that out. That's happened on multiple occasions. So I wish the listeners, listeners could see my face as Ryan is talking. <laughs> like, I maybe Ryan can describe my face, like what my expression has been this whole time. Because it's expected for when someone says they like Creed. In the year 2021, no less. (laughs) This is absurdity. This is absurdity. The same kind of absurdity that the injury bug has been regarding this team. Um, As If you listened last week, you know the name of the episode was Injury Corner. This week we're obviously giving you losing streak with a side of Injury Corner discussion. So the latest victim of the injury bug on this team, Eddie Rosario, on Wednesday morning, the team placed him on the injured list with a right abdominal strain retroactive to July 6th. He left Monday night's game the second time he recently had trouble with that area. And Chris Antonetti said on a Zoom call that the team believes it's a mild strain. So basically, and again, I know you wrote about this, but they get Fran Mill Reyes back in the middle of the lineup, and now another key piece is gone. Yeah, the lineup just can't really get uh, healthy. Um, and it's a, it's another situation, you know, similar to Josh Naylor in that Eddie Rosario had, to an extent, started to pick it up. Um, he had a just under an 800 OPS over the last two weeks. Over the last week, he had been hitting the ball really well, um, despite playing through um, this injury for, for a few days. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of one step back or one step forward, two steps back with the lineup right now, just, you know, um, you know, that was something that I don't know what about this with Josh Naylor in that it's not just the injury and it's kind of gruesome nature and how, how difficult that was for Cleveland's dugout or for those in Cleveland's dugout to watch. It was that he had started to pick it up at the plate a little bit. Um, you know, as a younger hitter, he had, he had just turned 24. Um, so he's certainly still in, in, in those stages of, adjusting to the league and adjusting to how the league is adjusting to him. Um, Eddie Rosario, too, didn't have the season that I think – or hasn't had the season um, that I think Cleveland had hoped for, that they had, had envisioned after watching him just tear Cleveland pitching to pieces for for six seasons uh, when, when he was with the Twins. But he had started to kind of pick it up. Some of the benefit of getting Fred Reyes back, who had a tremendous series in Tampa, um, and, you know, made his presence felt immediately, even though he's not yet to the point of playing every day. But that point maybe, you know, after the All-Star break where uh, they can slide him into the lineup on, on a daily basis. But Eddie Rosario had started to pick it up a little bit, and that and then some of that, you know, benefit of getting Reyes back is taken away for a few weeks. Uh, but uh, Chris Antonetti did say that, again, he, he, he they believe that the – that the strain is mild, uh, and with the All Star break coming up, it just made sense to do this now. Um, so once they can get Rosario and Reyes back in the lineup together, along with Jose Ramirez, Cesar Hernandez, you know, then you have the kind of the pieces to maybe sustain some some offensive consistency that they've kind of lacked. Uh, but it's been sorely needed. But yeah, it's just a situation of as soon as they get one break, somebody else goes on the IL, and they just haven't been able to get to, to full health in, in several weeks. And then to keep it moving here on the injury front, um, obviously Fran Mill Reyes and Roberto Perez returned to the lineup in the past few days, and uh, Fran Mill's bat has been going ever since he returned. Yeah, I, I think it was a Sunday or Monday maybe. Tito mentioned that it's it's nice to have him back because he's, he's one of the more positive guys, uh, one of the more, you know, I think enjoyable clubhouse guys to 
to have around. Um, but it's also nice to have him, you know, not in name only is what Tito said. And, um, you know, Fran Reyes has, has continued to kind of blossom into one of the more dangerous power hitters in the league. Um, and really the only thing that he hasn't done yet is the progressive field scoreboard. That's kind of the last thing on his list, um, that he just hasn't quite checked off yet. Um, but he's, you know, he's pretty quickly become, you know, a real force in the middle of Cleveland's lineup. And he's really, he's complimented Jose Ramirez quite well. And, you know, those two guys, you know, can get hot enough offensively to kind of carry lineup for, for stretches. Not, I remember we talked about this, you know, months ago that while those two can do that for stretches, it, it, it can't be relied on when you extrapolate that over an entire season. Um, yeah. you know, they're they're going to be needed contributions from elsewhere. And right now, you know, Josh Naylor is, is out for the season at least. And Eddie Rosario is out for at least uh, the next week plus or so. So again, you know, it's, it's a similar situation of, you know, Cleveland needing, needing to find some more production, especially from the bottom of the order. Guys like Bradley Zimmer and Oscar Mercado, who have kind of continued to struggle and haven't really been able to, to gain their footing at the major league level in, in quite some time. In the four games that Fran Mill's been back, uh, just to give you guys some numbers, he's batting 412, seven hits and 17 at bats. He has struck out seven times. He has six RBIs and two home runs, 412 on base percentage and an 824 slugging percentage. So not much more you can ask for a guy just coming, coming off the injured list there. Um, but to, to kind of run through the pitchers really quick and where everyone kind of is. Zach Plesak, he's not fully stretched out. He is scheduled to pitch Thursday's game against the Royals after the All-Star break. He could return to his full workload. Shane Bieber could be a week and a half or so. I know you wrote earlier this week from throwing the baseball again. Kind of remains murky and dependent on how he progresses each day regarding his timeline. Aaron Savale had begun throwing from 35 feet, according to Terry Francona. And you wrote about that he and Shane Bieber are not really close to returning here yet. Antonetti termed it as it's safe to say they're a few weeks away because it's not just getting to that point. It's also building up. So they're still kind of at the beginning and, uh, you know, Savali's at 45 feet. Bieber has not yet, not yet begun throwing. Um, and that's, I think that's the team's hope is that it, it's, it's a week and a half. So like roughly a week from today. So that'd be, Right, right at mid-July that he could start throwing, but that's uh, is also still dependent, you know, as you said, on, on how he progresses. So they're taking a real kind of day-by-day wait-and-see approach, and that these timelines are are not set in stone or uh, and and far from it. Yeah, it's as the situation kind of progresses, it's I, I, I'm sure there's the the urgency to try to get in the bag as soon as possible, but also valuing the fact that uh, they can't do that because both Shane Bieber and Aaron Savali are such crucial pieces to their to their long-term puzzle. You know, that's why uh, Brad Peacock was brought in. That's why Zach Godley was brought in. Both on minor league deals, uh, they were both assigned to AAA Columbus and are both kind of uh, making their progress to being an option, um, to, to give Cleveland some, some veteran options in the meantime. Again, as the story of this season has been, to bridge the gap until those guys can return. Well, Ryan, we've learned so much about you these last three weeks. You know, I think two weeks ago, we learned that you're not a morning person. This week, we learned that you are a Creed fan somehow. And last week, we learned that you had a word doc with all the injury progressions, timelines, et cetera, on this team. So I guess are 
anything else noteworthy coming up with with all of this? I think I got everything here, but uh, just wanted to double check with you since you are the keeper of all of that in that magical word document. No, I I think we covered. I mean, Cam Hill is still, still on the injured list, but there's been no real update there. But um, I think we pretty much covered all of the uh, immediate changes, which I, I think it's it's well within. It. <laughs> it's well within understanding um, to to want to double check things because there have been so many changes and updates uh, to that doc recently. Yeah, as yeah. Cleveland's front office and coaching staff can attest to. All right, so we're on the verge of the All Star break, obviously. So third baseman Jose Ramirez and ace Shane Bieber are the two players who will represent Cleveland in the All Star game. Obviously, Shane Bieber will not be playing. Uh, this year's All-Star game is at Coors Field on Tuesday, July 13th. It's the third career selection for Ramirez, his first since 2018, and the second for Bieber. And obviously in 2019, he won the All-Star game MVP in that game. And there was obviously no All-Star game last year due to the shortened season. Um, but given the fact that the last All-Star week was was here in Cleveland, you and I were both there. I guess just a quick discussion. Like, what was your favorite part of that week? Trying to remember if they ever played Creed on the PA system that week. <laughs> I, you know what? No one would have wanted that or asked for that. So I don't think that that ever happened. But I guess you can, like, in your mind, imagine that it did. Uh, next week, I'm absolutely just going to, like, slip in some Creed puns and references and lyrics into the podcast. Um that's I mean, an audience of one. It would be if you listened <laughs> back to the podcast that week. No one else wants that. I don't want it. The listeners don't want it. No one wants it. It's just for me. Um, <laughs> uh, favorite memory from the All-Star break? I think it would be the Home Run Derby because that ended up just being a phenomenal back and forth between Jock Peterson and uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, that was Pete so much Alonso. fun. So what? Pete Alonzo. Well, he won it, but the <laughs> – but him and Vladdy, like, at the end was, like, the, my favorite my favorite part of it. Yeah, the, I, yeah, right. And then there's also the angle uh, with that, with Pete Alonso winning it. Um, but just that, that round with, with Jock and Vladimir yes. Jr., that was just so much fun. Um, the, the format that the Home Run Derby has taken on has really kind of opened itself up to those types of situations. Yeah. Because um, it's, it's just – and I was – you know, the the first time that, that they went to a different format that was similar to this was 2015. Mm-hmm. And that year, Todd Frazier, who was the the, the hometown guy, um, had this amazing stretch where he was catching up the guys at, at the last second. And you have this, like, buzzer beater style home run, which is um, something that I think Major League Baseball did really, really well with. I, I think they kind of nailed it there. And so having that situation uh, where you had, you know, Jock Ch- – trying to tie it and, and, and things like that right at the last second um, on a ball that barely got out and the entire stadium was just going nuts. Um, I think it'd be the home run derby. That was, that was a lot of fun for me. I don't know if you had something else that was different, but that the, the home run derby just ended up being um, kind of one of the all time. Uh, Did you just hear that thunder? Sorry to interrupt you. Not by me. No. Is it, is it bad downtown? It's so bad in Cleveland. Oh, my gosh. Anyways, sorry. No, no, I don't have something different. I mean, the home run derby was mine. I mean, that was just a phenomenal home run derby. And I think for me, that was one of the items on my sports bucket list was seeing seeing a home run derby. And I'm really glad that it was 
that one. Like, I mean, it was just so much fun. It was so much drama, I guess, going into it. Uh, and I had a lot of fun writing about it. I mean, I was at my previous job, so wrote the, you know, quote unquote game story essentially for it. And I absolutely a great time. But overall, I mean, it was just a great week. Like I had no complaints. It was just really, really cool to get to be in that environment. Yeah. I mean, the, the Killers performed a, a free concert in Cleveland during that week. Uh, the All-Star Celebrity Game is, is always a lot of fun. Uh, J.R. Smith took his shirt off and, like, got a standing ovation when he went to go bat the first time, I think it was. Plus, we'd also be remiss if we didn't mention the pretty emotional moment uh, for everybody in the stadium uh, of Carlos Carrasco kind of being called on- onto the field um, for the stand-up to cancer moment. It's it's one of those moments that was bigger than baseball. Um, yeah, and I know I, I I think Cleveland also did a a pretty nice job to kind of bring that on uh, with his teammates and Tito also on the field. Um, that's also that moment, um, regardless of of where or when it is, has has always been done well um, as well. Mm-hmm. That was like a moment, especially like seeing that. And I know as reporters, obviously we never try to get too emotional about anything, but that, I mean that was so hard not to not to cry almost you know I mean it just it it was so moving to be there in person and I I mean I'm sure uh even watching the replay back after the game was over it it was still emotional uh and it it was just really like you said really really well done overall yeah and um going back to the derby you know that was always something that you know I kind of watched and I've always kind of thought that it was the I think the best like sports, like all-star festivity. If, yes. if that, I know I, I always liked it more than the dunk contest, mm-hmm. uh, especially I think recently, I think, the, I think the home run derby has, has almost become better in, in a lot of ways. And the dunk contest has maybe lost a little bit of, of its kind of luster. Um, oh, I don't think that's controversial at all. Like quite honestly, I think you're, you're pretty spot on. I think baseball's baseball's all-star festivities, I think are the best in my opinion, out of the four major sporting leagues. Yeah, and they've done really well to kind of the. They had a lot of downtown events that did well. Uh, Joan Jett was at the uh, uh, the Rock Hall, and we kind of sort of accidentally just ended up there, and um, we're like, "Oh, it's it's Joan Jett. That's that's kind of awesome." I'm debating if I want to joke that it's a shame it wasn't Creed, but I don't want to offend any Joan Jett fans because she's amazing. So I won't make the joke, but I almost want to. I've never been more ashamed to know you or to share a podcast with you. <laughs> this is horrifying, horrifying, horrifying. Everybody says that, and then higher or my sacrifice or one last breath or with arms wide open comes on, and everybody knows it, and everybody has fun singing it. I'm just saying, everybody has fun singing in that like '90s style where they're like rolling all their words together, and it's okay. It's all right. Nobody has to admit it. It's fine. I'll be the lone, the lone guy on the hill. All right. Well, I'm ending the Creed cast, apparently, before you can bring up anything else Creed related for the week. I've hit my, I've hit my weekly, monthly, yearly quota of talking about Creed from this. So never again. And until then, you can find Ryan on Twitter at by Ryan Lewis, where he will be tweeting about Cleveland baseball. 
and apparently Creed now, since I have re-upped his interest in his favorite band from his youth, you can find me on Twitter at AshleyBastock42. And, of course, as always, be sure to check out all of our Cleveland baseball coverage over at BeaconJournal.com. And until next time, where we will talk to you post-All-Star break. With arms wide open. 